Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. Sometimes life can leave us feeling like a mess, and often we get in the way of letting God make sense of it all. Today, Pastor Andy talks about how the answer is not finding yourself, but finding God and letting Him take the lead. Enjoy the message. We are going to end the series about getting over yourself, all right? That's usually the main thing about making sure that your soul can be available for God to to move into, to heal into, uh, to speak into, is sometimes we just gotta get out of the way, right? That's what we're gonna talk about. Now, I have a question for you. Uh, Has your identity ever been mistaken? Have you ever been mistaken for somebody famous? Anybody? Anybody? Just raise your hand if you've been mistaken. Who have you been mistaken for? Robert Duvall, yes, all right, that's awesome. Everybody, it's Robert Duvall right here. So, uh, well, I was sitting in uh, at dinner at, at a Michigan uh, diner. Actually, no, it was a breakfast. If it was a diner, they don't have dinner. Anyway, so I was, as a big boy, as I had a big boy around 2004, I was young, I was meeting with a ministry partner at the time, uh, and we were just talking. I didn't know anybody but him, but as we were talking, I noticed there was this table on the side and it felt like they're all staring at me. Have you ever had that moment where, like, I think that person might be staring at me? It's, it's, it's kind of awkward because they're like, okay, what's going on here? Do I have, do I have something on my shirt? Like, <laughs> you start, like, examining yourself, like, what's going on? And so I'm like, this whole table is looking at me. And as I realized this whole table was looking at me, the person I was talking with goes, I think that whole table's looking at you. And I said, yeah, I know, I know. I, I think... They, I think they think that I am, and before I could get done explaining what I was about to explain, a person from the table came over with a pen and paper and said, has anybody ever told you, you look like Ben Affleck? And, I'm, and in 2004, literally, it was about twice a week. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I, yes, but I'm, I'm not him, I'm sorry. And I'll just put a picture up there. I don't, I don't see any resemblance, really, okay? But the reason why I even thought about this is it happened to me last week in a Starbucks. I'm like, really? I know Ben Affleck's going gray. What are you telling me, okay? Anyway, uh, but I got to thinking about this. It was every other week in 2004, 2005, I don't know, maybe it was, I don't know, maybe he was in a lot more movies back then. Uh, but I thought, what if just one time I said, why, yes, I'm Ben Affleck. I'll give you an autograph, $20. I thought, you know, this could become a real interesting enterprise here. I was like, uh, should I? No, nah, I'm not going to do it. Why? Because that's called fraud. Okay, you can't do that. Now, if I was going to say I was an impersonator, that's a different thing. I didn't want to become an impersonator. I'll leave that for Elvis. But it got me thinking, have people done this before? Have, have they had an, a mistaken identity where people actually believed it? And so I began to scour all the different stories, and there's some good ones, all right? I mean, of course, there's the movie Catch Me If You Can. You can that's an old uh, Leonardo DiCaprio movie from the 2000s that chronicled that. But I found really two awesome stories of mistaken identity. One was in 1854 when, when Sir Roger Tickborne, a member of the aristocratic British family, left, south, left for South America on a ship that was soon lost at sea. He was gone. Well, his... Sir Roger's mom did not want to believe that he was gone. So she put ads in papers all across the world saying, have you seen my son? And one guy that kind of looked like her son was like, hmm, I think I can be her son. She's an aristocrat. So this guy by the name of Castro, no, not Fidel Castro, uh, Castro answered the ad and said, I'm your son. And of course, the grieving mother was like, 
I think you're my son. I mean, you know, uh, you know, taking the shoulder, the hair length. You'll pass. You'll be my son. So he literally lived as her son for a great while. It was only when he started wanting the inheritance that the family's like, uh, I don't think you're our son, <laughs> right? That's, that's pretty outlandish. In the 1920s, there was Vister Lustig. I think this one's better. He claimed to be a French government official. Uh, he had heard in the 1920s that the Eiffel Tower, which was built in 1889, uh, it was built in that, at the World's Fair, it was only intended to last 20 years. Did you know that? And so by the 1920s, it had fallen into disrepair. It was going to be very costly uh, to repair it. So he had convinced the government that he was the proper government official that he could actually sell the Eiffel Tower. So not only did he drew up contracts for city scrappers to get the metal when he was going to tear down the Eiffel Tower and sell it. And he sold it, even though it wasn't his to sell. You see, people can be mistaken for their identity, and people can begin to live in somebody else's identity. But the thing is, is that eventually you're going to get caught, or eventually you're going to realize you are, are living a lie. And this morning, as we talk about getting out of ourselves, I want to make sure that we're not living in lies. Whether we're trying to be somebody else, be something else, or even be yourself. You see, if you're not to be someone else, it leaves us with the idea of, oh, I know where this message series is going. Andy, you're going to tell me, just be yourself, right? Wrong. That's not what I'm saying this morning. I'm not telling you to be yourself. No, rather, I want us to be something very different because here's the deal. God put us on this planet. You have a soul. That is something that was created at your conception, and it's going to last forever. You're going to spend somewhere forever. You're either going to spend eternity in heaven in God's presence, or you're going to spend an eternity away from God, and where the Bible calls hell. Two very real places, real places our real soul will go. And each and every one of us has been uniquely created by God with a purpose, but your purpose is not found by looking into yourself, but it's actually getting out of your own way, it's getting over yourself and getting on the plans and purposes of God for your life. So, are you trying to be yourself, someone else, something else, or are you trying to be like Jesus? This is the main idea if you're taking notes. Here it is. Write it down, because you're gonna feel like, really? Yeah, sometimes these main points are really, but when we actually unpack them and go to the heart of them, guess what? You'll be like, uh-huh, you ready? Here we go. God made you to be like him. You aren't made to find who you are. You aren't made to be somebody else. You aren't made to, God made you to be like him. This is a very controversial main point in society today because it means that you're gonna have to deny some things. It means that you're gonna have to die to some things. It means that there's gonna be some things that are diametrically opposed to God and your flesh wants to be all about it. Today, we're gonna have to die to ourselves. We're gonna find ourselves in him, church. You believe that? Are you ready for that? Because it might hurt. God has a lot to say about this. In fact, if we're gonna, let's turn to Ephesians chapter two. I'll put a bunch of other scriptures on the screen. I'll put them all on the screen, but that's for our visitors. But if you are at our church, let's, uh, and you call us home, get in your Bible, mark it up, get in the app. Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. The Bible has a lot to say of who we are. For we are, for we are his what, church? Let's say it together. For we are his worksmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. We are his worksmanship. We were made to be like him. God made you to be like him. 
You're made by God to know God, to grow and to become more like God. You are not God. Okay, sometimes we think that. And I'm not saying you're to be, as you're just becoming more like God, you're going to become God. No, you're not. You're a human being. I'm a human being. We're fallen. We're, 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 not, we're not gods. We can't become, become them like some urban legends say. But no, rather we are to grow continually. As long as you have breath in your lungs and a heartbeat, you are to grow continually into things of God. Now, theologically, this is called sanctification. I've defined this before, but it bears mentioning again. Sanctification is this. It's on this I'll put it on the screen for you, the definition from Wayne Grudem. Sanctification is a progressive work of God and believers that makes us more and more free from sin like Christ in our actual lives. Let me say that again. Sanctification is a progressive work of God and believers that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. about three people in here today you have not been growing for over five years in Christ you've been sitting and you have been maybe going through the motions but your heart is in a dry land I want you to know today today is the call you're gonna hear from the Word of God today is your call to enter in and drink his water that is free and to grow but I want to warn you that if you do not heed this call to grow in him today, your heart may harden so much that you may never do it again. Heed this call. I'm sorry that just came over, but I didn't want to miss that. I believe that's for a handful of people in this room today. I'm not, I don't have any name to that. I just want you to know it just became very overwhelming in my heart. I had to share it, okay? Let's continue. Sanctification is a progressive work of God and believers that makes us more and more free from sin and actually, I think it, there may be a few online as well, too. That's for, that's for you as well, okay? All right, let's go back to the definition again. Sanctification is a progressive work of God and believers that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. Sanctification is not salvation. It's not salvation. And people mistake in this. Churches mistake in this. Some people believe that sanctification, if you're going to grow in Christ, some people believe that they have to grow in Christ to receive salvation. That's not true. We receive Jesus Christ as you are because Jesus Christ has done all the work already. You receive it, and when you receive it, you are justified, meaning you're declared not guilty. In fact, I have a chart here. Here's the difference uh, between uh, salvation uh, and sanctification. Salvation, you're justified. Salvation is a legal standing, meaning you're declared not guilty, once for all time. It's entirely God's work. He did everything that you needed to be saved. It's perfect in this life, the same in all Christians. Salvation, it's not imperfect, it's complete. And salvation applies the same to everybody who has placed their faith and trust in him. Now, sanctification is different. As a result of your salvation, uh, you grow. It's an internal condition. It continues throughout life. It's a process that does not change. Uh, we cooperate with it. Uh, you have the responsibility to obey. Uh, it's, it's not perfect. It's a continuous action. And it's greater in some than in others. Some people will sanctify and it'll be very quickly. Some people, it's like the stock market. It's like this, right? Some of you might feel like your sanctification is like the stock market. Others, it's a flat line. I want to speak, by the way, I want to speak to those with the flat line. That's what I'm talking to you today. Those who have... Your growth has flatlined. I want you to know God wants to revive that today, okay? 
So there's a big difference. But when you move sanctification as if it's justification, you have, be, you have brought on a Catholicism. Now, they, that's what they believe. They believe that you have to do certain works to get saved. Or like the Mormons, they believe that grace isn't grace. They believe grace is something you have to work for. Uh, or any other world religion, for that matter, believes that sanctification saves you. The beautiful message of Jesus Christ is this. It's not our works that save us. It's the full work of Jesus Christ that's complete and finished on the cross of Christ that anybody who receives, you are free. And as you're free, you're let go. You are free to grow in him. Amen? We are created uniquely as individuals with a soul that is unique, made to know God and to be like him. But if you're to listen to secular society today, they believe that we're just a collection of carbon and proteins. Or our experiences are reduced to just cognition. Which means, if you believe this, if you believe that you're just atoms, if you believe that you're just proteins and carbons, and that your experience of what you feel is just the cognition of your brain and the synapses firing, you'll believe that this life is your own. And you'll believe that you can do whatever you want that makes you happy. Scientist Carl Sagan once said this. He says, the cosmos is all there is and was ever will be. The cosmos is all that is or was ever will be. If this is the case, and it's not, we believe that, uh, we believe that God exists eternally in the past and eternally in the future. God has never not ceased to be. Isn't that amazing? He's always been. Mind-blowing, right? But we know that the soul will last forever. So he's wrong. We know that theologically. But he believes that this is all we got. And if that's the case then you will be led to believe that you are entitled to do whatever you want to do. Charles Darwin, the father of the modern evolution movement, published a book in 1859 titled The Origin of the Species by Means of Natural Selection or the Preservation of the Favored Races in the Struggle of Life. I've mentioned this before, but you rarely hear that second part uh, of, of the title of that book. Why? Because that's really racist, right? Charles Darwin was a racist, Charles Darwin's uh, whole system is racist, and yet it is the, un, uh, it's the undisputed champion in the scientific world, in the secular world, of how and why we exist. If that's the case, then guess what? Our whole scientific method based on evolution is racist, okay? The preservation of the favored races in the struggle of life. Yeah, that's an inconvenient truth. But this idea that humans are here by random chance have no souls or just biological bodies that will decay at death. If true, our bodies have no intrinsic value. They're here today and dust tomorrow. And this plays out in how we treat ourselves and how we treat others, how we view sex, how we view gender, uh, how we view of what we put into our bodies or what we don't put into our bodies. Uh, it, it influences how our minds and where they go and what we allow our minds to dwell upon. If we are just a biological mass, then we are going to do what we can do to survive and be happy. No, no, uh, notable atheists claim it's more faith, it, it takes more faith to believe in God who creates the world than natural selection. They think it takes more faith to believe that an intelligent creator created this world than a big bang and sludge to fish to monkeys to man. But I have a question. If this world came from a big bang, where did the matter come from? 
And when most atheists or, or Darwinian people are, are pressed on this, they will say, uh, well, eternal is matter. The matter is eternal. The matter's always been there. The atom is a building block of life. It's just always been. Or a more recent argument is it spontaneously created itself. Okay? All right. That, that takes a lot of faith, wouldn't you say so? Wouldn't you feel a little bit better knowing that some kind of inanimate object is not the creator God, just spontaneously created itself, or that we have a loving God with a purpose who puts the passions, who puts the, the, the idea of life into your heart, who gives you pursuit and meaning for every day that you have in your life? I'd choose the latter, wouldn't you? Science is not opposed to the things of God. In fact, when rightly applied, it will reveal our marvel for this universe of which God made. It is only when we have a presupposition to an anti-supernatural viewpoint of life that science gets out of whack. And we know today, I'm not going to get on a bunny trail too much on this, but we know today just how much scientific research can be bought and paid for by the person that wants the report to say what it wants to say. We know that, right? Right? Just follow the money, right? And it's unfortunate because science is a powerful tool of which we can discover how God created this earth and marvel at it. I don't think science and Christianity are opposed to each other at all. I think it's what we've done to it. And even scientists are beginning to recognize there is more to us than just random chance of cells that talk, love, think, and long for things. In fact, many scientists are beginning to think maybe in our Western mindset uh, we have We've missed it, that maybe there really is a soul. Well, there is a soul. And the Bible, the Bible speaks to it, that we need to long to have a healthy soul, one that is found in Christ and that is growing in him. So back to Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are his worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. God made you to be like him. So let's make this clear. We're not to be God, we're not gonna be God, but we're to be like him. So I want to look at a number of truths this morning, three truths that will help us understand how we are to be like him, all right? Number one, it's not about being yourself. I've said that, but let's codify it. Number one, it's not about being yourself. Ephesians 2.10, let's read it one more time. Let's get in our head. For we are his worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Now, I realize from the earliest childhood movies and from Disney, right, uh, or from your second grade teacher, or maybe even Christian books, it's all about you, 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 and finding yourself and expressing yourself so that you can just be yourself, right? We've all heard that, and to some degree, we've all bought into it. Just be yourself. Be authentic. Be real. Be raw. And here's the deal. I think there's some truth behind those phrases. Because the opposite of that is be fake. Conceal yourself, right? No. And so I think there's some truth to those things, to those phrases. But those phrases have been a catch-all to mean everything. And if it means everything, it means nothing. 
But the opposite of being fake. Yeah, obviously we don't want you to be fake. We don't want you to be actors. We don't want to come in here like, yep, everything in life is so good. It's so good. Yes, yes. You know, we don't, we've, we've known people in life that have been so fake. They, they have the biggest whoppers on the planet, right? You remember the people in the playground. They would, they would give you the gigantic whoppers like, uh-huh, right? I mean, playground. Some of you are at your workplace and you're talking to somebody and you're like, uh-huh. At my dad's store growing up, uh, I worked with a guy. He told the biggest whoppers all the time. One time I bought him some whoppers. He didn't get it. Uh, but uh, he said that he, had, he built this log cabin with his bare hands. He cut the trees down. He said that for pets, he had these Clydesdale horses. You know, that's the big old horses in the old Budweiser commercials, right? It's like he had these things, and we're just listening to him. I'm like, now, I know where you live. You live just down the street in an upper in, a, in an apartment, right? Okay, keep going. All right, that's all right. Alternate universe, you know, what if? Okay, come on, let's do it. <laughs> No one likes a fake that acts like they have it all together, lies about everything, everything's perfect. They hide their failures. They put that politician smile. Here at Kenosha City Church, I mean, we say this almost every Sunday, so I'll say it again because I don't want us to forget it for a second, but we are not perfect people. We are people being made new. That's sanctification. We're being made new in Jesus Christ, which means we can bring the mess in the sanctuary, but the idea of this is when we bring the mess to the altar, we can leave it with God. And when we pick it up again, because that's what we do sometimes, we can drop it down again, right? Jesus is like, just drop it right now. All right, drop it, all right? We're not to be fake. We're to be real, but real with hope and wanting to grow like Christ. I'll be honest, this week was a difficult week. Many of you know my mom is, is laying in a hospital bed this morning with cancer. We're waiting for answers on some things. That puts me on pins and needles, right? But we know that even when things are hard, we know that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We know where our hope's at. We know that he doesn't shift like a shadow here on earth. And so it's important for us, it's, it's okay not to be okay, but God doesn't want to leave us that way. You see, when you're trying to, and this is what happens, when we're not okay or we're, we're feeling off or something, we, we are intrinsically told uh, in the secular society, go find yourself. And if you try to be yourself in your own power, this is what will happen. You will begin to excuse sinful tendencies in your life. You won't grow, you'll actually go in reverse. So being in pursuit of not being fake, we can have a tendency to buy into something else that's still fake, and that is trying to find authenticity by being yourself all by yourself. That you can become whatever you want because if it feels good, express it loud and celebrate it and you better all celebrate when I'm celebrating. That's what society says. But this is where our authentic selves is pursuing celebration instead of correction. Oh, that person, they speak truth. I know it's harsh. It's just who they are. Oh, that person, yeah, I know they're just cold, but it's who they are. Oh, that person, they're just a skeptic. <laughs> they don't trust anything. It's who they are. Oh, that person, they're just sensitive. I know, I know. It's who they are. Oh, that person, they're, oh, they're so, I, they're prophetic. I know they're hard. You know what? Here's the deal about prophetic. Yeah, obviously we believe in the gifts of the spirit, right, church? But sometimes people walk around and are like, I'm just prophetic. You, and you know, you know what I'm talking about. Some of these people that kind of walk around, I'm prophetic. I'm like, get away from, oh gosh, he's coming towards me, all right? Like, you know, listen, we're told in 1 Corinthians that prophecy is to build up the church, right? Right? 
We are to be encouraged. Even if it's a hard word, we leave, God loves me. But sometimes we have taken this gift and we're like, let me just, they're gonna get it today, right? Nope, nope, that's not an excuse to be mean, all right? Oh, that person, they just exaggerate. It's just who they are. Oh, that person, they procrastinate. How they'll get it done, maybe. It's just who they are. Oh, that person, they express their sexuality, their gender, or whatever feels right. It's who they are. Oh, that person, they drink too much. Oh, they look at porn just a little bit. It's just who they are. And listen, that's not who you are. That's who the world says you are. You are to be made new in Jesus Christ, to grow in Jesus Christ, to forgive what lies behind you and press on what's ahead. And what often the reason why we don't press on ahead, it's simply this, we are standing in our own way. God says, follow me. We're like, well, you know what, God? I want to follow you, but, 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 but I have all these things. Get out of the way. Let God lead into these things, heal these things, deliver you from these things, and follow him in all things. Being real for many people is a pretext to doing whatever you want in hopes that you'll find that eternal satisfaction and purpose, but you'll be left hanging. The Bible makes very clear every command of God in the context of the, actually the entire Bible, being yourself without God is diametrically opposed to the will of God. You need to slay that hard this morning, whatever's in your soul that is diametrically opposed from God because it will not lead you to grow in God. Being yourself in your own power will excuse sinful tendencies. Another thing is being yourself in your own power will lead to self-destruction. Sin doesn't just stay dormant. It's like a cancer. It spreads. In Paul's last letter, he wrote, it's the book of second, it's a letter of 2 Timothy. He sat in prison ready to face execution for sharing his faith. That happens all around the world today, still today. Even as you're watching the Olympic Games, I want you to know there are people all over that country that are being imprisoned and killed for their faith as they swallow. Paul was ready for execution for sharing his faith. He was lonely. He'd been abandoned by many of his friends, and many of the church thought he was a fanatic. Some thought he was a lunatic. But Paul's vision and purpose was resolute. He said this, fight the good fight for faith. Know who you are in Jesus Christ. Know that you are a soldier, and a soldier does not get tied up in civilian affairs, but rather he seeks to please his commanding officer. Know who you are in Jesus Christ. Stay on mission, was his heart cry. And Paul was particularly concerned for the people in the church getting distracted and even walking away in the faith. This is what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Remember, when you're trying to find your own self, it leads to destruction. This is what he's worried about. 2 Timothy 3, 1. But know this, hard times will come in the last days. For people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents and ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness but denying its power, avoid these people. So Paul is in his prison cell, ready to die for his faith, and he gives us a prophetic word. And the prophetic word is this. In the last days, there's going to be hardship and hard times. What are these hard times? Is it war? No, that's not what he's talking about. Is it famine? No, that's not what he's talking about. Is it pandemics? 
Nope, that's not what he's talking about. I mean, these things may be happening in the, in the end times, and we'll, we'll see that in our next series, uh, that many of these things will be. But what is his main concern? His main concern is that in the last days, people will become lovers of themselves, and they'll abandon God. Abandon God. He's speaking to people in the church. He's not speaking to the person that's not in church. He's speaking to you and me. Are we living in the last days? I'll answer that question in two weeks, all right? When we go into our Revelation series. It's called Be Ready. A study in Revelation starts in two weeks. I'll answer it then. But I want you to know this. Paul wrote this for you. He wrote this for you. To be on guard. Don't be the one in the last day who has become a lover of yourself. But what we've seen increasingly even in this world, inside and outside the church, is people want God on their own terms. And when you want it done your way, you become a lover of yourself over than a lover of God. That lover of self, it comes from a Greek compound of the verb to have a great affection for. You're looking at yourself in a way that you just absolutely are enthralled in love. It's to be a narcissist, really. And you know what happens is sometimes we all have a tinge of narcissism in us, don't we? We have a tinge of loving ourselves we do in fact the bible says to love the lord your god with all your heart might strength and soul right and to love your neighbor as you love yourself okay the bible never instructs anywhere for you to hate yourself or despise yourself you are made in the image of god you're fearfully and wonderfully made uh, and god loves you and therefore you ought to respect yourself as well okay there's not the disrespect of self is pagan it's not from the bible however we have the tendency to lift our love of ourselves above others and, most importantly, above God. And this is exactly what Paul is talking about. These individuals have become to love themselves more than anything else. And so, for us, when we struggle with ourselves and we don't like the way that we look like in the mirror, we'll, you know, we'll put our hope in clothes or if you're a beauty care or your online persona. Uh, you'll, buy, you'll buy the extra filter so that your skin will look better. Self-love has become a foundational virtue in society. And for many churches, we've bought into it too. And we uphold uh, rather the, the extra-biblical ideas of self-esteem, self-gratification, self-fulfillment from purely secular idealism rather than biblical theology. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe in counselors. I, I even believe in studies that come from the psychology field. But they should never supersede or go against the word of God, ever. And I'm seeing that. People are like, well, you know, this latest study is like, and then you read the Bible, like, okay, the Bible is opposed to whatever they're saying in this study. Guess what? You know what I'm going to go with? The word of God, right? Anyway, that's simplistic thinking. Well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm trusting that the word of God is, is true. I'm trusting the word of God is faithful and will endure for all of time because that's what God said. It's within his character, right? But so much garbage is being touted as a way to find yourself, and it's killing and literally mutilating a generation. And many people are applauding it. And today's self-love, it can find its traces to humanism back to the 19th century during the development of evolution. If humanity is some random chaotic chance, then again, you can become a de facto god or goddess of your life. You become the source of greatest love, and that's why you'll do anything to self-preserve yourself, to make sure that you're happy, and therefore your self-esteem and your happiness become a barometer of your worth. For many, they'll turn to drugs, they'll redefine marriage, they'll cut corners, they'll redefine ethics, 
They'll see life in a way diametrically opposed to the word of God. Why? Because they think they're their own boss. And for many, even in the church world, they deconstruct and reconstruct a God that allows them to be comfortable and do whatever. And this is what Paul is talking about and warning Timothy in his last letter. I'm not in charge of the universe, and neither are you. Do you believe that? Does anybody think they're in charge? That, that they're leading, that they can be absolutely in charge of everything? Anybody think they're in charge of themselves? That they can, they can micromanage everything that's going on eternally and externally themselves? Anybody believe that? You know, I had a hard lesson of that last week. I was going to go see my mom. I did go see my mom, and I wasn't really thinking, and I was putting the pedal to the metal, and when I got across the Iowa border, I got pulled over. I remember I went past this police officer, and I said, uh-oh, Allison, we're going to get it. And, it's, and, of, and of course, I, I know people are like, is this a new one? Yes, this is a new one. All right. How many states now? We're not going to talk about that, okay? You need, I need to repent, okay? So anyway, uh, they pulled me over, uh, you know, and, and I'm just looking at myself like, I felt it. I, I felt it in my heart. My mom's sick. I'm trying to get there quick. Uh, I need to get there. But guess what? I'm not in charge. He wrote me a ticket. I deserve that ticket. I'm not in charge. And yet, sometimes it's those little moments in life where we realize, I'm not really as big of a boss as I think I am. And it's that way with the Lord. He is our Lord. He is our boss. When we think we're in charge, we fall in love with ourselves and become that de facto God and goddess. And when we... uh, fall in love with ourselves, a whole domino effect happens in our lives and in our hearts. First thing we see here is a self-lover loves money. Notice that in the text. They become lovers of money. Now, money is not evil. In fact, Paul states elsewhere that the love of money is the root of all evil. So the love of money is the root of all evil, but money is not evil. When people think that they're their own God, they will think their possessions are their own and they can spend their money however they want. Uh, They can go into debt as far as they want because they realize all their possessions that they have in this world is their heaven. It's all they have. If you don't don't believe in heaven, you don't believe in eternity, then you're going to make this as much as close to heaven as possible. It's a sad heaven. It's not heaven at all. And the love of money can hit Christians and non-Christians alike. In fact, American Christians battle two things. They battle the closed fist, and they battle uh, wanting to give with ulterior motives. The closed fist is this. 37% of self-professed evangelicals last year didn't give a dime to the church or missions. 37%. These are people that believe, by, by definition, in exporting the gospel through the whole world. Okay? Now, I want to applaud uh, those that, in the majority yet, that are being generous, and we want to thank everybody in that. But if we really believe that the gospel needs to go out, we need to believe that everything is the Lord's and on loan to us. Now, some people are like, well, that might be an income disparity. No, actually, the same study by Christianity Today and the nonprofit source uh, said that the actual income of uh, the actual rate of people giving goes down once they make $75,000 or more. So it's actually people that make the least that are the most generous uh, by percentage. On the flip side, some churches have taken a bad theology where they, they tell you need to give. And if you give today, God's going to increase. And he's going to increase in you. He's going to increase by you getting the job that you want. He's going to increase. I don't know why I'm doing this, but you've seen it before. He's going to give you that Mercedes Benz. You're going to wake up one morning and it's just going to be in that driveway because you put that offering and you doubled and tripled it. As you shake and double and triple that offering in there, you're going to get God to give you and rain down blessing on you and everything that you want in your heart. You're going to be living in a mansion. You're going to be living in your second mansion. You've seen this before. By the way, if you just tuned in, I'm making fun of that, all right? That's called prosperity gospel. Can you imagine if people, I don't, our social media team, please don't isolate that, all right? All right. But you get what I'm saying. You've seen that before. 
And that's giving with ulterior motive. You're giving because you're hoping that you're going to get even more for yourself. That's, that's, just as, that's just as stingy as not giving at all. We need to give because it's an act of worship, uh, because God has asked us to do that, right? But also, we need to give with a generous heart. We're not to love money, but we need to use it to give maximum glory to Jesus. Another thing that we see here, people that are lovers of self, is they're, they're boastful and they're proud. Being boastful is an outward expression of self-love. This is a person that always is talking about themselves. They're always bigging themselves up, making themselves look perfect, and it leads to them being proud. Uh, proud is arrogance. This person believes that their ideas or what they're saying is superior. A person who's proud thinks that they're in charge, whether they're in charge or not. They think their ideas need listened to, whether their ideas are good ideas or not. And, you know, it, it, can, it can go into really trivial areas. In fact, one time, when we introduced our donuts about a decade ago, uh, we had an individual, random individual, just kind of walk in one time, and he said, donuts in church? And he was really angry about it. And I was like, oh, wow, this is interesting. Uh, I, and so apparently one of our, our hosting members like, yeah, he was like threatening to tip our tables over. And like, really? It's like, yeah, he was really angry about the donuts. And really, he's like, but you know what happened? He's like, well, what happened? I mean, he was, you know, being, you know he, he, was, he was being authoritative and saying how wrong this was. But when no one's looking, he took a donut and ate it and walked out. <laughs> I was like, Really? Chalk that up to one of my favorite memories, all right? So <laughs> William Barclay says this, the boastful and proud tries to boast and bluster his way into power and eminence. No one could possibly stake in him or her or fail to see them. But the sin of the man who is arrogant in this sense is in his heart. He might even seem to be humble. He might even seem to be quiet, inoffensive. But in his secret heart, there is this contempt for everyone else. He nourishes in all-consuming, all-pervading pride. In his heart, there is a little altar where he bows down before himself, and in his eyes, there is something which he looks at, all men and women, with silent contempt. That is to be proud. That's William Barclay. Now, as we continue to see through Scripture, someone who's a lover of themselves, it gets even worse. They become demeaning. That means you disrespect others. You, you be, you're disobedient to parents. You're ungrateful. That means that generosity, you're like, yeah, whatever, I deserve it. You're unholy. That's the opposite of what Tom talked about. Being holy is being different. God is different. We're to be different like him, right? Well, to, if you're a lover of yourself, you're not going to be different. You're going to be like everybody else. You're going to be unloving. You're going to be irreconcilable. You're going to be slanderers. You're going to be without self-control, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than the lovers of God. But I want you to Look at verse five. Holding to the form of godliness, but denying its power. Let's put that on the screen. Holding its form of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid these people. Paul is saying this. This huge list I just wrote you, it's like, oh yeah, those, I know that somebody, I know that somebody. No, 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 Paul is saying this for us. He's saying this for me. He's saying this for all of us. It, we are bent towards loving ourselves more than anything else. We are not in our own selves bent towards the glory of God. We're not bent towards to do supernatural things. So that's why we need the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to take over our natural selves, that we can become naturally supernatural people. But the problem is this. When we become lovers of ourselves and the dominoes begin to drop in this huge list I just was reading, oftentimes it goes incognito, and it goes incognito like this, a form of godliness yet denying his power. It's you can be raising your hands, oh, Jesus, I love you. You could have all the words in your mouth, but you could deny his power by your reliance on the Holy Spirit, how you treat people, how you go about your week. Paul is saying, don't 
do that. That is the art of being fake. And we all fake it sometimes. And listen, God doesn't want you to fake it till you make it. He wants you to go to the one who is real so he can change you. God made you to be like him. It's not about being yourself. Point number two, it's not about being someone else. Two things we battle in this area. So if we're not ourselves, then we're like, okay, I'll be like someone else. So many of us, we battle wanting to please people or wanting to belong to a group in unhealthy ways. Galatians 1.10 Paul writing to the Galatian church, he said this, for, I am now, for am I now trying to persuade people or God? Or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul is writing to the Galatians church, and there were many people trying to stir up dissension, saying Paul was not an apostle. An apostle was, a, was someone who was sent out for the Lord. Many times they'd plant churches or be over areas, and people are like, he's not really an apostle. He wasn't sent out. He's a, he's, he's just, he just made it up. And Paul's like, I'm not even going to spend time on that. I am not here to please your dissension. I'm here on mission uh, to the, my commanding officer uh, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ that people may meet him, live in the power of the Holy Spirit, and it spreads. So are you trying to live for the approval of others? Or are you trying to find your source of purpose in God's purpose? Let's take a little test. You can't grow in Christ while trying to be a people pleaser. Are you a people pleaser? I Listen, I am a recovering people pleaser, okay? I am. Some of you that know me real well, I was like, oh, yeah, I know you are. I know I am. You know, sometimes I fall off the wagon, all right? Number one, take this test. Put a yes or no next to it, okay? Number one, if you're a people pleaser, you pretend to agree with everyone. You tend to agree with everyone. You should listen to people and be nice, Right? We should listen to people whether they have the same ideas as us or not. But we should not cancel someone just because you disagree with someone, right? So uh, good news, we're not pulling our podcast off Spotify, all right? That's staying on there, all right? Did that go over our heads there? All right, so anyway. But you should not pretend to agree with what you disagree with to gain confidence, to gain acceptance. And this is what happens in dating relationships, new friend groups, whatever, you find yourself in situations you shouldn't be in because you're trying to please that person. Uh, you're, you're trying to agree with them. And so you may, be, you, may, you may be a boyfriend or girlfriend and you're in this compromising situation. And why? Because you just, you didn't want to be disagreeable. You might be with friends and you end up at a party and they're starting to pass around drugs or marijuana or whatever it is. And you're like, why did I take part in that? It's because you wanted to please them in that moment. Number two, you may be a people pleaser. If you feel like everything's your fault, you blame yourself, you feel responsible for how others feel all the time. You don't like the tension, so you're just like, I'm just gonna take the blame. Number three, you always say yes. I remember one time I woke up at a camp in Michigan, and I woke up and I said, what am I doing here? Well, I know how I got there, I drove there, right? But I, I, why did I drive all the way from Iowa to the middle of Michigan, and why am I working at this camp this weekend? Because someone gave them my name to somebody else to somebody else to somebody else, so they called me and said, hey, could you work at this camp this weekend? I'm like, uh, yeah, sure, right? And I was in Michigan, I woke up, I'm like, why did I do this? Because guess what? Sometimes we always say yes. And know this, when you say yes, you're saying no to sometimes the most important things. When you're saying yes to your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your, your friends, your phone, your appetite, that overtime at work, just know this, whatever you're saying yes to and you know you ought not to say yes to, you're saying no to the most important thing. Maybe a people pleaser, number four, if you need people's praise to carry on. Everyone needs praise. 
Marriages are destroyed without praise. Friendships are harmed without praise. Kids grow up with a lifelong complex because their parents won't praise them. Parents, start praising your kids. Praise should be offered freely and in grace and in love and in truth. In fact, psychologists say at a seven to one ratio, seven words of praise to one word of correction. But we're not meant to depend, though, on validation. Hear that. As much as we need praise, we should not depend on it like a drug. Because if we need it like a drug, we will only feel good when people say good things about us. You should know who you are in the Lord, but we should also freely give praise. Number five, you might be a people pleaser if you act like all the people around you. Your voice changes, your laugh changes, uh, you begin to walk and talk and wear the same clothes. You're worried if you walk and talk and your swagger, your clothes are not fitting with the people around you. Are they gonna accept you? I mean, we usually see this in middle school, right? Like, oh, I gotta get the right clothes. Oh, I gotta watch, you know, the, the right TikTok videos. Or, oh, I just, I gotta be able to say, you know, get the right gifts at Christmas. You know who's putting it all on? It's the parents again. It's, this is a learned behavior. You know what we need a little bit more if we're gonna see people survive the society that we're in today? Isn't fitting in. We need some uncool, right? We need some people to go against the stream. I'm not telling you that you have to like, you go and go to a thrift shop and, and buy like, you know, 1970s, you know, big collar. Well, maybe that'd, that'd be kind of cool, actually. But uh, anyway, I digress. Sometimes we value the values of culture to where it kills the value that we're pursuing in God. We should, not we should not be like others, but what we should do is this. We should imitate what others are imitating for Christ. We shouldn't just try to be like someone else just to be like someone else. We need to imitate. Imitate who? Imitate those who are imitating Christ. 2 Timothy 3.10 says this, but you have followed my teaching, conduct and purpose and faith and patience and love and endurance. We need to imitate those who are imitating Christ. We're not to be like someone else. We're to imitate those who are imitating Christ. Last thing, number three, to be yourself is to find yourself in Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 and 10. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourself, it's a gift of God, not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his worksmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Notice what the text says here. For by grace you are saved. Jesus saves you, period. You don't save yourself. Your sanctification doesn't earn you salvation. By his grace and not ourselves, we are saved. Now listen, Christians, listen, listen, listen. Do not gloss over this. We gloss over passages that you will hear week in and week out. Do not forget do not make, just put it up to just something that you hear all the time. It's like, yeah, it just becomes Christianese. I want us to take a deep dive in and realize every single time we read this, for by grace you have been saved. We are lost. We are hopelessly lost without Jesus. We're hopelessly lost if we think we're gonna get to Jesus by ourselves. We are hopelessly lost in our sin, but because of his great love and mercy, he went to the cross and saved us, and it's no longer hopeless. We are no longer lost, but we are found when we are in Jesus Christ. This is the center of why we get together. This is the center of why we are church, and this is the center of the mission that our commanding officer has given us. May it never become just something that's routine. May it be the core of who we are, because grace is amazing. Because our sin separates us. Every single one of us. We can't save ourselves. Every real religion tells you that you can do better, try harder, look for salvation, stability, satisfaction in yourselves. And that is all a lie. Because we know this. We are bankrupt within ourselves. And that's why we have the almighty God who is rich in mercy and salvation. 
He is offering it freely to you. When you receive Jesus, you begin a life of thankfulness, transformation, and growth. That is our call this morning. Grow as a church together. We want to grow and we want to be on mission and reach people. Let me just say this in closing today. As a church, everything that we do, and church is a collection of God's people, right? As Kenosha City Church, everything we want to do is for you to become fully devoted. We want you to personally connect people to the power of the gospel. That's the power of the Holy Spirit through the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? In order to do that, we want to make sure everything we do is in line with that. All right, this is where we're going to land, and then we're going to dismiss. These are the questions I want you to ask yourself. How are you growing in Jesus, number one? Number two, who are you trying to please at the expense of God? And number three, who are you connecting to Jesus? Who are you, how are you growing in Jesus? And for some of you, like I haven't been. Who are you trying to please at the expense of God? Who is that person? And number three, who are you connecting currently to Jesus? If that's nobody, God has somebody and he's preparing somebody for you right now. So Father, we pray all these things, whether it be the vision of the church, the vision of what you have for our souls, that God, we get out of our way and let you lead. God, I pray for those today that, we, uh, that, we, uh, that are in this room today that haven't been growing for five plus years. God, I pray that today they would lean in and say, God, we need you. And God, I pray for anybody in this room right now that doesn't know you as Savior. I pray right now they would say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need you. And that is anybody in this room, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus personally, you need your sins forgiven if you're gonna go to heaven. God created you to have a relationship with him, but your sins separated you from Almighty God. But the, the powerful thing is this, God came to this world, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to save you from your sins. He rose from the dead. And when you say yes to Jesus, when you place your faith and trust in him alone, he saves you. If there's anybody in this room right now, if you've never made it personal, if you've never personally said, Jesus, I need you. I, need, I wanna place my faith and trust in you alone. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose from the dead. Lord Jesus, I'm trusting you right now. If you've never personally said that to God, if you've never placed your faith and trust in him alone, right now is your time. You can receive him. With every head's bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, if you wanna place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ right now, you're like, Jesus, I'm in. Jesus, I wanna place my faith and trust in you. Jesus, I need forgiven. I want forgiven. If that's you, raise that hand up now. Say, yep, that's me. I'm gonna place my faith and trust in him alone. Awesome, I see you. Awesome. Fantastic. Anybody else? Great. Great. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you're doing in this room. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.